Yeah. Okay, so, covenant. I really encourage you, uh, last Sunday Greg preached a great message on um, um, offence and forgiveness. I was going to say it, but thank you. And, you know, Greg acknowledged how offensive he is. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't here, I was up in Myrtleford, but, you know, I could hear the amens when I listened to the stream of, you know, yeah, Greg, we're glad you finally realised. No, no, it was a really, really good message about, you know, offence and how we need to deal with it. And we do not want to be a church full of offences, but be people who are free because we forgive. So I encourage you, if you never heard that message, it is a really, really good message. Um, listen to it, and it's available on Ignite 45 or on our um, Facebook thing. So covenant, what is a covenant? A covenant is a binding agreement between parties who have clear responsibilities and obligations. God, on the journey of his relationship with mankind, has been a covenant God. That God uh, will approach a person or peoples, and then he will uh, set up the possibility of a covenant with those people. And so a covenant with God is an agreement involving God, a personal person's making binding promises to each other with clear responsibilities and obligations entered into by choice. And often, well, it is a lifetime commitment and even an eternal commitment. So we have marriage covenant, that if you are a Christian and you get married, there are not just two people in the marriage, you are in your marriage with a covenant-making God. You are making a covenant with your partner and with God. Marriage covenant, the covenant at creation with Adam and Eve, look after the garden. If you look after the garden and you don't eat from a particular tree, you will enjoy paradise. Um, the covenant he made uh, with Noah, you know, Noah built an ark. And uh, get all your clan in the ark. Covenant God. Uh, the covenant he made with Abraham, which we've been looking at. The covenant he made with Moses, with the Mosaic laws and the children of Israel. The covenant he made with David, that through his descendants they would rule um, Israel. And that even from David's descendants would come um, an eternal ruler of Israel. Covenant making God. Jesus and um, Diane, you read that scripture this morning. Uh, in Luke twenty two twenty, when Jesus is instituting communion or the, the time when we get together and we remember what he's done. Uh, and he said this, Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So Jesus, when he came to the planet and he gathered his disciples together, he again addresses this thing called covenant, this relationship, and he describes it as the new covenant. So it's a new covenant. Jesus came to bring a new covenant whereby we find the forgiveness of sin. The Mosaic laws were, you know, you kill an animal, you do this, you do that. But Moses put a new, uh, Jesus put a new covenant that through his blood we find the forgiveness of skin. But then, uh, sin, not skin. Um, but then, see, it's the same thing. God says, I'll forgive your sin, but you've got to believe, number one. And number two, you have to, there's an act of obedience. There is responsibility on you and I when we go into a covenant relationship with God. First of all, it's our choice. Secondly, he says, I'll do this, this, and this. But there is an obligation between you and I that we do it. 
And the beginning of the covenant or enjoying the covenant is a thing called faith. From the time of Abram right through, God's covenants have been built around a thing called faith. Faith was not new when Jesus came. Faith uh, was enacted in another way through him coming and the new covenant, right? So we were talk- we've been talking about that. Now, um, there is a connection. Now, the Abrahamic covenant is this in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through to 3. Um, now, the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. So here's this thing God's saying, Abram, this is what you got to do. And then God says, this is what I'll do. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I'll make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Verse 3, and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram has this encounter with God and he either chooses to believe through faith or he can choose to reject. And obviously, uh, Abram believed God. You with me? But here's the thing that we looked at um, a couple of weeks back. Uh, can you put up Galatians 3, 6 through to 9? So here's this covenant with Abraham. It's a covenant of faith. And there's all these amazing promises of God's blessing and God's favor and God's protection. But there were obligations upon Abram in order for him to live under the wonder and the blessings of the favor of the covenant. You see, you can be, be um, in some kind of agreement with God and in some kind of covenant with God, which you are through Jesus, but there is so much blessing available to you, the more your life enacts the covenant of your obligations. The New Testament is full of how you should live as a Christian. The New Testament is full of what we need to do for us to receive the same blessings of Abraham. And see, it begins with what? Faith. And then outworking that faith, which James covers when he says in James uh, chapter 2, that faith must be accompanied by works. Without works, your faith is dead, James tells us. So if you are a believer and you've begun with a faith covenant, believing Jesus to forgive your sins and that God wants to bless you, uh, you also have to have an outworking of that faith in your life. Because if you don't, faith without works is dead. You don't really truly have faith, right? Important we understand these principles. So Galatians 3, 6, there is a connection that comes through the scripture that um, uh, Peter, uh, Paul sorry, is trying to address people and legalism, people under religion, and they were trying to go back to the Mosaic rules, and uh, they didn't get it. And they're trying to address uh, this issue in the scripture. Uh, Verse 6, Galatians 3. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, see, faith and believing God has always been connected to righteousness. Verse 7. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Abraham. Verse 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that's you and me, um, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, and you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed 
with believing Abraham. So I want you to understand something, that Abraham, uh, Abrahamic covenant that God instilled with this guy, who, who believed, didn't stop. It didn't finish, you know, when uh, Moses' deal came up, or David's, or whatever. It has continued right through into this very day, and it has been enriched with this new sense of how to deal with sin through Jesus Christ. But it is always connected with faith. And I want to tell you something about God's relationship with you and me. God doesn't have a relationship with you or want to do a deal with you or have you in a covenant relationship to make your life miserable. Whenever God says, dudes, here's a deal, take it on board, it is so connected to the wonderful blessings that he wants to pour into your life. You know, your marriage, when you get married and you include God, if you follow the plan, God's dream and hope for you is that you have a fantastic relationship. But the key is following your obligations. Do you understand? Through faith, blah, blah, blah. Okay. John 10.10, when Jesus said, I came to bring you life and life in abundance, it's kind of like Jesus Saying, you know, I'm the new covenant, but here, man, guess what? I'm here to bring the blessings. I'm here to give you abundant life. See, this God of the old and the God of the new is the same God. He's not in the old, mean and horrible and beats everybody up. And then all of a sudden, you know, he feels bad. And then we have the New Testament where, you know, he goes through some kind of um, transformation. God is the same today as yesterday. God has always been a good God. God has always been a God that wants to bless the world and bless mankind. And God has always used this process of faith in order for us. It's simply just believe Him. Believing Him. You know, Pickett used that um, example of when we were in Africa and, you know, that whole storm and wind thing. I've got to tell you, I was not full of faith and power when I heard a voice say to me, rebuke the wind. I'm like... You know, that's the devil. And seriously, you know, like, um, I barely had, you know, I had to wrestle to say it out because I was like, what if it doesn't happen? But you know, stupid that I am, I believed God. And we got to see the wind and the rain stop. Wouldn't you love to see that with your life? When I found Jesus Christ and I would read and understand of People before me who'd seen amazing miracles. Me, I'm like, yeah, I'm in God. But you know, you've got to do the journey to go through some of that. And you've got to learn the key of believing. Believing Him. And being obedient through your belief. See, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a just foundational. And I love it that he preached the gospel to Abram. To Abraham. Okay, four years later, after the um, initial relationship beginning with Abram, he leaves his land of birth and he, he's trying to be obedient. The guy's pretty dysfunctional though, I've got to tell you. He was not a perfect man. If you think that um, those who follow God and, and who go into the covenant automatically become perfect, you are dreaming. You know why you're dreaming? Look in the mirror. Rocky, put Karen in the mirror and get her to look at herself. Okay, 
Genesis chapter 13, four years later, and somebody touched on it this morning. I think it was you, Greg. You know, we are this instantaneous generation who expect everything to happen for us all at once. Because we live in an environment that's been trying to teach us that. But God is, in a, is a God of process and timing. And like Greg said, the perfect timing of God was way smarter than him. And we often get impatient and God do it now, but we don't understand he's smarter than us and that his timing is absolutely perfect. Perfect timing. Four years later, four years after he connects with God, God wants to enrich his understanding. Genesis 13, 14 through to 15. And the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes now, look from the place where you are, northward, eastward, southward, uh, westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and note the tail end and your descendants. See, covenants and a covenant with God has the power to affect the generations that will follow. I want to tell you, friends, I want to remind you this morning of the power of the covenant you have made with God through Jesus Christ and Him forgiving your sins. That as you believe Him, as you are obedient, as you allow greater revelation of Him to come into your life, you then position the generations that will follow after you to receive God's blessings. Am I the unexcited one? Amen. Amen. Talking to a friend yesterday, he's probably watching the stream, and he, uh, he was telling me how I was talking to Izzy, and he said to Izzy, uh, Izzy, you know, I heard your dad preach a couple of weeks ago. Finally, he started spitting again. So watch out, I'm in spitting mood. God wants you to have a deeper revelation of his covenant relationship with you. He wanted Abram four years after meeting God and being obedient and following the plan, even though he wasn't perfect, even though he made some dumb mistakes and he even turned his back on his wife, you know, gave her over to the enemy and became a chicken. Greg, imagine if you go to Uganda and one of the chiefs there says, ah, who's this Carolyn? She's not bad. And Greg goes, well, I don't know. She's just with us. And sort of, you know, and he can see that the chief has got his eye on her and, and he just sort of, Runs out of the game at fear. I mean, that's pretty poor being a husband, isn't it? This is Abram, the covenant dude. He was a gutless wonder and he was willing to give his wife over to the enemy. I don't know, Greg. I don't know what you'd do. Okay. Now I want to move into, that was, that was two weeks ago. Now I want you to move into Abram's life eight years after the covenant. Eight years after he does the deal and God started to bless him and, you know, he's on this journey and then he's widened the sphere to include his family and his descendants that will come from him. Eight years after, Genesis 15, verse 5 through to 6. And then he brought him outside and then Abraham had come to God and he said, look, you said you're going to bless my, my, my family. He said, but I've got no kids. How can you do it? You know, what's going on, God? God's divine timing. 
Then he brought him outside and said, look now towards the heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And then it says this, which is a very powerful statement. And it said, and he believed in the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. I want you to understand that. Eight years after the fact, there's pressure on him to make another statement of faith. This moment in his life is critical. And there are moments in our lives, my friends, that are critical on your journey of revelation of Jesus where you've got to do the statement, where you've got to make the call, I believe. You know when we say amen? You know when we as a church, I like you to say a lot more because then I think actually you might be listening to me. The word amen is a word that means I agree with God. You will hear it often um, in church life. You know, the more Pentecostal, the more amens you're probably going to hear, or maybe the more darker the skin, I don't know. Uh, I love it in Africa because, boy, do they amen. But do you know where the word amen comes from? It gets its root right back to this moment in Abram because the Hebrew word here used is a word that is amen. And it is a Hebrew word that has transcended right through into history to now because it's a word that we make a statement to say that we agree with God. This is one of the first times in Scripture where the power of agreement to what God says occurs. Are you with me? Amen. So Abram, Abraham, Abram, he was still Abram at that time, maybe. Yep. Abram, God tells him this incredible thing. In fact, friend, your ancestry and the connection with me is going to affect the generations to come. And Abram has to go, amen. And it is thought that he would have verbalized this word. I agree. And it says this, Abram believed God and it was counted as righteousness for him, to him. When you agree with God, you've got to understand something. It is a powerful transaction of transference from heaven into your life. When you don't agree with God, when you are stuck in doubt, and when you choose to get caught up in whatever is happening in your life, and whatever trouble, and there is no agreement, friend, you are, you are, you are putting a roadblock into the blessings that are meant to come. And in fact, here's the crazy thing, your children, there are moments for you as a parent, friend, whether you are a, uh, you have um, uh, children or adult children, where you need to start saying, I agree with God. Because there will be things that come that will attack your children. There are things that will come that are trying to stop the a power of the covenant of belief in God that you can be overwhelmed with and lose your faith and your trust and your belief that God can get them. Do you understand? You do not bow your knee to the enemy destroying your children. You do not give up. You do not let dismay attack you and rob you. Rather, what you need to do is understand that God has promised to reach the generations through you. That this covenant with Abraham extends to our children. 
to my grandson, Gen- uh, not Genesis, Finn. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a grandparent. And man, the cry of my heart is, I don't come from a generational line as far as I understand of faith. But friend, when it met me, things started to change. Not because of me, but because of him and because I have faith. Don't cower because your kids are making dumb decisions. Because so did you. Might not be the same ones. Look at Greg. No, sorry, mate. (laughs) Friends. At those moments, they are critical. They are critical for you to declare amen to the promises of God over your family. And they have such power to affect the generations. This is good. I wish I knew this a long time ago. I'm still learning it now. But it excites me. Amen. I agree and I believe and that credits you with the master blessing. Righteousness. Deuteronomy. This is a really, really, and we often quote this. I've heard this quoted lots of times um, uh, when, you know, there's bad things happening in families. But it's not fully quoted, which is a real shame. It says this in Deuteronomy chapter 5, 9 through to 10. You shall not bow down to them to worship them. This is talking to the children of Israel. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing. Oh, what? Punishing. Punishing. Probably that's not why we don't like it. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Now stop and pause at that moment. God's trying to say something. He's saying that you as a parent and your actions have the ability in a negative aspect way to go right through into the third and the fourth generation. Four generations, if you're a bonehead, then you're going to cause your kids to be punished. Scary. But here's the good bit. Verse 10. But showing love to a thousand generations, not three, not four, but a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So the negative is, friend, when you are in a space where you're doing dharma and whatever, it has power to go right through into the generations. You'll see this battle in Abram right through to Joseph that there are ugly generational aspects of their family. But here's the incredible thing, that when you are obedient... When you are a person who believes, friend, you have the power to affect a thousand generations. A thousand. Woo! Of course, you know, that probably doesn't interest you. A thousand generations. That's outrageous. But that's the wonder and power of belief in Jesus. 
and activating the full power of this relationship covenant agreement with him. I mean, that makes me feel a little bit more powerful. I know some of you, and I know some of your stories, you know, that with your kids. And I know the battle as a parent that it is for us with our children. But friend, it's not the time to not have faith. That's the time to start agreeing with the promise. Because you take yourself out of the picture and you activate the incredible power of God to do whatever he's going to do. I mean, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Real fast. Abram has a son, Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau have a whole bunch of sons, but Jacob has a bunch of sons, 12 of them. And if you will look at the four generations, they are darn ugly. They are, man, if I was dealing with that family, I would pass them on to Pekka. Because they are beyond me. You know, because I'm pretty flawed or whatever, I don't know. This is huge dysfunction. Let me read quickly to you. Abram sleeps with Hagar because Sarah thinks it's a great plan. I've never heard Pekka say that to me. She said other things, she'll kill me. Abram abandons Ishmael and his son Ishmael. Isaac is born. Isaac marries Rebekah and follows his father's mistake and denies Rebekah under pressure. He then is going to chuck her to the wolves. She's not my wife. There's more out there, Greg. Has two sons, Jacob and Esau, who become enemies and want to kill each other. Jacob is a deceiver and cheats his brother. You know, I've been around a long time and I've watched things with inheritances. And when brothers and sisters get ugly and they fight over inheritances and everybody goes, oh, it's ugly. These dudes were ugly. Ugly, ugly, ugly. The 12 sons that he produces... Man, they are murderers. They murder people. You know? Um, They turn on each other. Jacob, who then becomes Israel, where the nation of Israel and the descendants of the favor of God come from, he is the worst parent on the planet. He gets one of his sons, and out of all his family, he makes this son and he pours all his love on and he great, creates jealousy and envy in the other 11. He bought, you know the jacket, the technicolor coat that they made the thing out of? Man, that was the dumbest parenting thing you could ever do. I am a parent and I know the danger of my kids when they think I might favor one of them. I've seen the damage in families. He is a buttonhead parent. But he's a covenant guy. Then the brothers take this Joseph and they want to kill him. I mean, I've seen my sons. They want to kill themselves, kill, kill each other sometimes. In fact, whew, gives me hope. Then they take Joseph. They want to kill him. Someone tries to speak sense and says, no, let's just chuck him in a hole. He'll die naturally or whatever. Then someone comes along and somebody thinks, oh, we can make some money out of this. This is his brothers. You know, let's sell him. 
You know, that way we don't have to be murderers and we can just sell them. And then Joseph, this is the line of the covenant, right? The covenant line. Then Joseph gets sold into Potiphar's house. And here's this Joseph who was dumb enough to feed the jealousy of his family. Oh, boys, you're going to worship me. Even says it to his dad, what an arrogant, stinking little kid. Needed a slap on his bar. Oh, no, you can't do that. Well, can you? Then he gets sold into Potiphar's house. He's doing all right because there's a covenant blessing on this family. And he gets favor in the house and he starts to rule over Potiphar's house. And then Potiphar's wife thinks he's not bad. And then she offers herself and he rejects. And then he gets betrayed and victimized for something he never did. And then it's thrown into the king's prison. Think about it, the king's prison, not just one prison. I want to tell you why. Sometimes at moments you wonder what's happening and why, but God's hand is incredibly over this. There is a reason why he had to go into the king's prison. Then he goes into the king's prison, and then the, the baker and the butler get thrown in there, and he interprets their dream, and he's accurate. And you know, some of you, Joseph had gifts. Joseph's gifts was that he could interpret dreams. If he didn't use his gift, it would never have opened the door into the blessings that God had for him. And some of you don't open your gifts. And friend, you are stealing from others. And you are stealing your own blessings because you're not functioning in the gifts. Quite good. That's another sermon in itself. Then the baker in favor back with Pharaoh and and Pharaoh has a dream, and then the baker remembers, because Joseph had to stay another two years in prison after he said, Baker, man, if you see the Pharaoh, and you get, tell him how good I am. But no, two years, God's timing. Two years later, finally, Pharaoh has a dream. God's hand is on this thing. The covenant is still at work. And then, um, he goes in, and he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And this is what Pharaoh says to him. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people to submit uh, to your orders. Only with respect of the throne will I be greater than you. See, I've got to tell you something. Way back, all the generations Actually, 186 years earlier, someone had made a connection with God and believed God. And because of the faith of Abram, though dysfunctional, that faith had this generational power to go all the way through to Joseph and the favor had remained. See, friend, when you have faith, the favor will go beyond you. I'm spitting and shouting. But then... Some of you. And friend, I come from crazy families. My mum's here. It's all good. She had a crazy son called him Keith. Highly dysfunctional. We have dysfunction everywhere around us. Some of you, you think, is there any hope for my family? Here's the power of Joseph. Here's the power activated in a man who used his gifts who in his way believed God and stood up for God 
Though he was a bonehead at the beginning and though he was full of pride and arrogance and thought he was the best thing since sliced bread. I love this and I wept when I read this um, because it is the most powerful thing. Genesis 45, 1 through to 5. So what had happened was the famine had come. You know, um, uh, 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 Israel, Jacob, needed food for his family, so he sends his sons. They come to Joseph. Joseph doesn't let them know who he is. He sends them back, and he plays with them a little bit. But then this is the moment when his emotions are overtaken because of the love and covenant God who has created this opportunity. Genesis 45, 1 through to 15. Oh, 1 through to 5. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers, his betrayers, the ones that tried to murder him. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard the wailing of this man who had been through so much but was a covenant descendant of Abram and his emotions are overtaken because he realises God all that happened yet you and your goodness and your favour have used me as an instrument to bring life to my family that's what is so powerful friend because we are covenant people despite dysfunction in the world, despite dysfunction in our own families, that God's plan and the covenant that he makes with us will put us in positions where we become the people who have the power to bring life and hope and blessings to our family. I mean, is this good? Tell you my story real fast. I'm going over by about five minutes because I'm allowed. Pegger and I found Jesus, where is she? Doing crash. At the age of um, 22, we had just got married. We were highly in a highly dysfunctional relationship. Um, put it kind of politely, I was probably a bit, I was a scumbag. Oops. But we meet Jesus. And I come from a whole lot of line of stuff and so does Pekka. But he meets us and he starts to transform us. And he starts to turn this highly dysfunctional relationship into something he could build children in. And then what happens is because we're his, and even though we're you know, still a bit messed up and still doing our journey and still trying to do the thing, but we love him and we're trying to have faith and we're trying to be obedient because faith unlocks him. And um, my father, who I would argue with about God, is put in a position where he's going to die and he's un, under in a coma and has a vision of Jesus Christ. Turns his life around. You know why? Because of the power of the belief and the faith of those who start to believe in him. My mother becomes a Christian. My sister and her husband, who was a lecturer and a super bright guy, same thing, they came to stay with us. Uh, my sister ends up yelling at me, slamming the door and Pickers says, oh, you're a pain, Keith. Years later, they're pastoring our church in the Gold Coast because of the covenant God, because of faith. I don't care. I mean, I do care. But whatever you are in, whatever trouble is around your family, friend, you have the God of the impossible. But he cannot be activated unless you are a person who activates faith. 
So my word to you today is that you are a covenant person if you believe in Jesus Christ. And you are called to inherit blessings from God. And you are also a person who has generational power. You are also a person that God wants to raise up to be like Joseph, despite you, a rescuer of your families. Can we close our eyes? You know, God, we are lost. We are lost without you. We are hopelessly lost but that you would say, hey, I want to make a covenant with you is a fantastic truth. Father, I pray for those that are listening today that there would be a stirring in their hearts, that there would be a cry in their hearts, Lord, that they would be the rescuers of their families around them, that they would be the people that would say, God, I agree with you today. And Lord, they will see the power of a covenant God being poured out around them. If you have never made a deal with God, if you've never asked him to become the Lord of your life, friend, change. Today is your moment. Simply, God, I want you in my life. God, I confess my failures. I need you. I acknowledge, man, I am so badly in need. And he will hear you. And he will begin the process of making you into what you've always meant to be. And you will see the blessings of God over time amaze you. The Lord bless everybody that is here. Bring inspiration. Power of the Holy Spirit be activated. In Jesus' name. Amen.